welcome to the Agile Strategy Lab podcast, where we explore what it means to view your organization, your company, or your community through the lens of agility to create a strategy that works in a rapidly changing world. I'm Liz Nilsson, the Associate Director of the Lab at the University of North Alabama. Today's episode is number 31. We've made our way together in this amazing year to June, summer, in the Northern Hemisphere at least, the end of school, the beginning of cookouts and family reunions and weddings. Weddings are full of traditions and heartfelt, if somewhat trite, expressions. Something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. What's behind that, and honestly, most of the traditions that we observe at such occasions, is the desire for continuity, to keep what's good about what's come before, but to move forward with new hopes and dreams for a new generation. In this episode, we return to the conversation I had a few weeks ago with Steve Hart and Wayne Tarkin of the University of Pennsylvania. We reflected on the inherent irony of teaching new ways of working within an organizational structure that is almost 1,000 years old. The first university was the University of Bologna, founded in 1088. Steve and Wayne take as their jumping off point in their courses the idea of changing the way we do basic kinds of work together, such as how we hold meetings. They're optimistic on what's ahead in the workplace, as you'll hear, first from Steve and then from Wayne. If you start to just build new habits around these rituals that you're already doing, when it comes to implementing Agile across your organization, you already have a muscle memory around how to do these things. And uh, it becomes easier to implement because it's not so foreign for people to start doing things differently. So we, uh, we advocate this notion of uh, shared leadership around that model so that the leaders are doing something as well as the team is doing something to self-perpetuate and keep people engaged. But they, be, they both have independent roles, but they come together to create what we call shared leadership, which is another tenant in the book as well about having uh, that co-responsibility to co-create. This is a, an invitation to see the possibilities of doing things differently. And hopefully you get excited enough about it that when you go back into your own workplace, you're going to drop in some of these ideas and you're going to be a better leader. I call it my Zoysegrass principle of leadership, right? Zoysegrass is common here, but what's, what's good about Zoysegrass is you don't rip up your own your old lawn to plant zoysagrass. You put plugs of zoysagrass into your current lawn, and over time it takes over. And I feel the same way about that's that that's my teaching philosophy. Is I'm I'm trying to find people in my classes who come to my classes who've got this idea that they can be influential and an agent of change. Give them a few tools, some ideas, get them excited, and then send them off into the world, and hope they start doing it. So to me, that's um, that's the reason that keeps me coming back year after year to teach. But it's also, I think, um, the way that the courses, that, that the ones we teach at Penn at least, are structured that way because they have that uh, invitation and that openness to experiment and play. It really is a journey, as Steve likes to call it. I think it is. And um, our job is to help each student create their own journey that makes sense for them uh, with you know some rigor around the material. But that's, I think the agile process really lends to that. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's helping the individual kind of uh, aspire to their own dreams and aspirations. And, you know, I don't know how you feel, Steve, but that was 
really rewarding for me in terms of as, as an educator. In your life, and we're fortunate to teach students, I think, who, who come to our course often with some experience of work already. Right? So this is a bit harder to do, perhaps, with people who haven't had that uh, insight yet. Uh, it might take a bit more work to get them tuned into this notion. But I still think it's a, it's a very sort of Montessori way of learning, right? It's experimentation, it's playfulness, uh, but at a much higher level. Do you get any people from Penn in your courses and what do they think about it? Because they're reflecting on, on Penn as an organization itself. Yeah, we, 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 are, we have, well, at least in my experience, I've had somebody from Penn in almost every class I've taught in the last six years. Um, they do remark at the end, wow, uh, it, I wish we could do this here, you know. And I've taught at three universities and I've had exactly the same reaction, right? That at the other two universities, people have said the same thing. We should do some of this here. Um, but I think it's, it's true of any organization. It's a massive machine that has to be fed. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it tends to have routines and um, preferred ways of doing things that people just never question. They just do it relentlessly. They know it may not make sense, but they don't necessarily understand why it doesn't make sense. So we might reveal something in the class about doing something differently. And suddenly they find, oh, maybe I should start to do that here. And then they'll either get permission to do it or they'll get their head chewed off if they try. Um, but it's, uh, it's been fascinating over the years to see some of this connect with the Penn people from Penn and how they've gone and tried to do that, implement into their workplace. And then others who um, just say, well, you know, it, it's great, but I don't think it'll ever fly here. So culture, you know, you know, this, you know, the stat, the, the old standard, right? Cultural elite strategy for lunch. So uh, if the culture is not ripe for change, it's not really going to pick up on these ideas of, easily yeah and most of these most universities have a very uh, you know culture's been there for a long time and there's you know various dynamics that um that keep the culture in place even when you know for example there's a new president who would really like to shift things there there are dynamics there that really resist that more than i think in many institutions yeah yeah you know traditions um you know, uh, tenure can have an impact of people. You know, it's difficult to to manage people in yeah. an environment where they're granted lifetime employment without performance concerns. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of mechanisms that are in, in built into some higher ed structures that I think might, might be an impediment to them uh, modifying and changing. It strikes me as, as, um, as we were talking, I hadn't really thought about this in the same way before, but you know, even without tenure, I think part of what is uh, challenging about universities is that um, it's not at all unusual for people to spend decades at the organization. And you know, that isn't true at certainly many, indus in many industries that would not be what you would encounter. And the only, the, the thing I was reflecting on a little bit was the other organization I've seen that with is NASA, um, a government agency where when you're hired at 25, you're expecting to spend your entire career there, which is terrific in many ways. You know, there's people that are, are working, you know, they're now who are working on the moon, you know, the moon trips. Um, but it also means that there's a culture there that, that um, there's a lot of history and reasons why that culture exists. And I yeah. think that's probably true in most governmental agencies. 
Yeah, well, I worked for a quasi-governmental one for 34 years and um, saw that same thing that, you know, it's, uh, I, I left after 34 years, but I, I'm, I'm on the lower scale of tenure there. It's starting to change, particularly with the younger workers, yep. but, um, you know, I remember going to my very first meeting representing my boss uh, and uh, walked into a meeting and I actually said something and the, the person who was running the meeting says, how long have you been with the, with the organization now? I said, 12 years. He says, you're a rookie. So, and what, Steve, what you said about young people, do you, do you think that there is a difference in the way sort of the emer- you know, the current currently entering workforce views things differently that's going to have a lasting impact on those kinds of organizations? Yes. I, I, in fact, I was privileged in my last three years at my last organization to uh, run what we called an emerging leader program. So right out of college hires into the organization and put them on a leadership track. And I was absolutely blown away by the, the, um, the way that these people think, uh, what they're looking for in exchange for their work, uh, how they view what organizational life should be like, and uh, the kind of qualities that they come uh, and, and are willing to explore now in very early in their tenure. You know, I, I think there's no more important issue in our organizations right now than uh, achieving diversity, equity, and inclusion. And many of the young people I see come in, they just they're just pre-wired that way. They 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 already have an understanding of that dynamic. They they know what it is, and 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 they think nothing about um, about that. You know, whereas people from the baby boom generation are still struggling and understand it all. These kids are coming in hardwired with this already in their mind. They already have, I think, uh, a tremendous. Uh, what I noticed in the people was, I think, one of the biggest. Uh, competencies that any leader should have is empathy and I see so many of these young people coming in who are very empathetic in their thinking that they 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 they've grown up in teams they've worked a lot with people and they've got a sense of um, fairness about that and 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 they're not necessarily out to top somebody else they prefer collaboration they prefer co-creation so I think they're. I think once that thinking takes hold in an organization, these people develop deeper into their careers. The hallmarks of all of that wonderful emerging leader talent will eventually subsume old cultures, and we'll start to see a change in the way that organizations are presented. Yeah, the challenge is to to help organizations create ways of working that aren't just going to chew them up and spit them out in the meantime. Right? It's that transition that is. That's, that, that's kind of what we're in right now, this holding pattern, right? It's, it's sort of a tension between the old ways of doing things and the new. And right now there's a 60-40 uh, on the old ways of doing things, maybe. But uh, I, I think that's soon going to change. And I think the COVID experiment here uh, is perhaps uh, an accelerator of that thinking. Because I think, um, you know, uh, again, because we've all lived the experience, it's not like it's, it was one person's versus somebody else. We all live through it. So everybody's voice is valuable in understanding what we need to do next time something like that happens. And uh, so I think it, it, it could be an accelerator for cultural change in organizations if it's handled and facilitated well. Is it, is it possible that COVID has created a kind of collective empathy that, yeah. that helps us make that transition maybe a little more? Yeah, I think the thing is not to, not, not to let it go to waste, right? So how, yeah. do, how do we 
how do we structure conversations in our organizations now at leadership level and others in order to uh, let, let's have permission to talk about the real struggles we've had as we've lived through this crisis and let's see what we can make let's make our organizations more humane places where the human spirit is valued for its properties and and we're exchanging our work and our time you know, on behalf of this organization not just a paycheck it's 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 where we come to get meaning and purpose out of the work that we do. So how can we do that and make it more impactful around that? Because I think we're going to be challenged to hold on to people if we don't. I think you see a lot more transparency by leaders also. And I just follow a lot of several leaders on there and LinkedIn and Twitter and the things I talk about, you know, a couple of years ago, you would have said, you don't really talk about your family and life and your challenges in a personal basis. But you know, um, the real person is, is is so much more appealing than some artificial person who just kind of tells you what you think you should hear. And so I think younger people embrace that. They, you know, COVID brought that out that we're, you know, I'm a CEO of a big company. I don't have all the answers. We're going to make some mistakes, but we're going to work together and we'll fix it. And that's refreshing to a lot of people, even us baby boomers, I think, because, you know, that's how else can you be, you know, that's the only way to work is to be honest and transparent and bring your best self and, and learn from your mistakes and move forward. I think that's uh, appealing. We've always had this idea of uh, leaders ought to be authentic. Well, we've learned what that's like now through this crisis, right? We, it, it, if, if you're truly authentic, then it showed up at some time in the last 14 months. Kind of circles all the way back to the very beginning of the strategic doing message, right? You know, having a safe space for people to have deep, meaningful conversations. Exactly. Exactly right. Great wisdom. Right, right back there, yeah. It's hard. You know, it's not difficult. You just have to, you have, you have to become consciously competent to think to do it that way. Or un unconsciously competent. Even better. You just do it by natural intention because it's the right thing to do. You just sense it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about how the lab works with organizations to bring about transformation, check out our website at agilestrategylab.org. Or you can email us through the website. Just look for the Contact Us button. See you next time. Mm -hmm.